These are the funniest people I know. These are the funniest people I know. Said improv riffing, callers some sketches, characters and interviews, and then some more sketches. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest, these are the funniest, these are the funniest, these are the funniest people I know. Hello, universe, and welcome to the Funniest <laughs> People I Know podcast, radio show, and ear-tickling experience of a lifetime. <laughs> so lame. My name is Will, and I'm here with the funniest people I know in the Gars studio. Hey, Will. We're so excited to be here for, uh, gosh, number something episode. We've done a ton of these now. Yeah, well over a year. Well over a year. We are well over. We're at least one week. We're seven days past a year. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> that is so, so cool. TJ's here. George is here. I've got Alex in the studio. Hello. I got to call Alex out on something. And I think <laughs> she knows exactly what it is. All right. Let so, me see. Yesterday, I'm uh, just driving to work and I get a text message <laughs> from Alexandria. This goes out to... <laughs> An entire group of people that I don't know. And oh, she's no. apparently in the ladies' room in need of toilet tissue. Oh, <laughs> Has group no. texted, I don't know, every person that she knows in Atlanta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <she's> got... <laughs> yes. So she, so she asks us all for toilet tissue, and I ignore it. I'm like, oh, that's so embarrassing, right? And I go on about my business. And then she has this one really good friend who's like, yeah, girl, I got you. Also, this is a group message. <laughs> <laughs> so Shout out I, to Christina, oh my no. only real friend. <laughs> oh my god! What happened there? Why did you text everybody that? And were you in such a dire mood? She was like, "If yeah. you were in the vicinity, bring me toilet paper." To clear it up, I was not using the facilities. I was actually at the pool. <laughs> and my allergies was just on 10 and my nose is running. And I was like, let me find Christina. Did not realize this was a group chat. Christina's name was just the first one in my phone. And with Christina being a long name, mm. it was the only <laughs> name I saw. I didn't uh, see that right, there were right. five other people attached uh, to this conversation. Great. It was so Damn, funny. y'all. <laughs> I walked into work and told mm. everyone. That's such an Alex thing to happen to. I have a friend and every year we all get together for her birthday. And recently I got a message from one of her sorority sisters. And I guess she had just gone back into an old chat about the party and just responded to everybody. And she didn't realize I was on there along with all the sorority friends. Oh, wow. And she is straight up talking about her husband's vasectomy. Like, oh, like, yes! The, wow. the, the planning for the vasectomy, <laughs> how it has affected their sex life, oh, uh, like God. everything about how it. How many people are in this and chat? There's like seven people and me. And I'm like just sitting there and I'm like, okay. This is so not my business. I don't think Chad wants you to be telling me this. <laughs> like, how do you dissect that conversation via group chat anyway? Can y'all not save that to lunch or something? <laughs> like, y'all, we need to get brunch. I got to talk about some stuff. Folks, we have a very, very special guest in the studio. Pilot Mike is in the house. Live hey. and in person. What's up? <laughs> oh, you know, me usually when I'm at work. Oh, yeah. Uh, Airplane. Crashed and burned on that one. (laughs) There it is again. (laughs) One more. My ups and downs. I love this. (laughs) I've known Pilot Mike for, let's see, I'm now. We're going to do math here. Yep. 26 years. Yes. Wow. Mike and I grew up down the street from each other. He lives in Atlanta now. He flies for a airline. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And you're a listener of the show. I am an avid fan. I've been made fun of on this show in the past. I wouldn't say anybody made fun of you. We'd like our fan. Yeah. (laughs) I'm happy. And yes, I've been made fun of on this show by Will. And I was actually at work flying when I was made fun of. (laughs) Isn't that amazing Uh, that a pilot of a large airplane is cruising through the sky at what? 35,000 feet? Ish. Ish. Listening to the funniest people I know. What did I say to offend you? You were talking about how I came up to you at your wedding and blindsided you with photos from my vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a fact. That happened. It did happen, but I don't remember it happening that way. I was flying along and I hear myself come up on this episode and I'm like, this is going to be interesting. And after it was said, my reaction was immediately to defend myself and said out loud to a very senior captain (laughs) (laughs) who is not listening... I don't remember it happening that way. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> he's like, what? Yeah, what and so he's like, what are you talking about? I don't know. I thought you said something. <laughs> oh, wow. What do you say? I was just made fun of on a radio show that I'm listening to. <laughs> I felt it was better to just kind of... Brush it over. Oh, yeah. God. You've been flying... As long as you've been a working adult, you were an airline ambulance pilot? I used to fly an air ambulance, yes. I went to a lot of places that I thought I'd never get to see and a lot that I hope I never see again. Wait, there's an air ambulance? Yeah, I didn't know that existed either. Yeah, yeah it's a thing. Who's sending the message to the air ambulance? Oh, insurance. <gasps> oh, that makes oh. sense. It was a lot of Canadians with their health care system that would, if they fell ill out of the country, mm-hmm. be it on a cruise or wherever they were touring... They would call us, and we would come down and ferry them back. Is there a siren on the air ambulance? There's not. Mm. I wish there was. Do other planes have to get out of the way? That's the best part, Mm. is they do. Oh, my God. We landed in Boston. They were having a snowstorm, and there's like 200 airliners lined up to go, and we start up. They're like, yep, medevac, you're going. Wow, so you got to cut the line. Cut the line. Duns River Falls down in Jamaica kept us in business. People that climbed up when they shouldn't have and Uh, fell down. Oh, my gosh. What an opportunity to ride on an air ambulance. Right? I go and do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. You have to have good insurance, I imagine. It's that insurance that they want you to buy when you're booking your cruise. Oh, the travel insurance? Yes, that's what you're buying. Oh, I always that. I absolutely hated that job, (laughs) but it was enjoyable. Did they get in-flight entertainment? If they were conscious. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You would juggle for them? That was when I was a very good yo-yoer. Yo-yoed on the plane? Yeah. You're sitting down. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm segueing down a rabbit hole here, Mm -hmm. and now people might recognize me. I want to know more about your yo-yo. They're like, oh, my God, I saw that. The The yo-yo pilot. Look at that kid dressed up like a pilot playing with yeah. his yo-yo. Oh my God. Like, Why how... did you used to could yo-yo but not anymore? What has happened in your yo-yo career? My hobby is kind of collecting hobbies. <laughs> That's true. Will can attest to that. It was model airplanes and I stopped doing that because I learned to fly the real thing. And then I decided I wanted to try to yo-yo because I thought that was cool. I was wrong, so I stopped yo-yoing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now I'm on to playing guitar, which I thought was cool, which would be cool if I was good at playing guitar. You've been into go-peds. That was a thing. You were into shotguns. I, that was a thing. At yeah. one point, you had a guinea pig. Yeah. I don't think a guinea pig is a hobby. Yeah. That's not a hobby. Like a, that's a pet. I don't know. Shade of gray. I'm all about preserving the animals, but do we really need guinea pigs? They spin on wheels. 
Yeah. You spin on wheels? Just follow me, George. Okay. And then they pee in your hand. It's... That's probably what it is. Yeah. Squeaky. Squeaky I'll never pee forget. in your hand. A yo-yo will never pee That's in your hand. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. Yes. You could walk that dog, and it's never going to leave a trail. It's <laughs> never... <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. You so... catch a knot, it'll bite. Oh. <laughs> Mike, one of the reasons that we wanted to bring you on the show was to talk about your brief foray into waiting tables in South Florida. Thanks for bringing it up. I almost had that buried and here it is. I would love to tell you about it. Tell us the story, Mike. I always thought I was a pretty personable person and that I would make a good server. And I used to go to Shoney's every year for my brother's birthday dinner. And I remember saying, how hard can this be? (laughs) They just say the salad bar is over there. I'd like to apologize to anybody that works at Shoney's that listens to this show. I know now it is very difficult to wait tables. I just said, I can do that. I was in flight school and I went to all the chain restaurants on University Drive there in Coral Springs. And no one would hire me. I didn't have any experience. Did and you I, have your yo-yo? No, right. I was still in the model airplane gotcha. phase. That's... Nobody would hire me. They wanted me to be a host, and I didn't want to be a host. I thought, hey, I'm funny. I want to wait tables and make people <laughs> So you thought good service was mostly just about good comedy. Oh, I thought if I was a nice person and just refilled drinks and gave stuff away for free, I was going to be the best <laughs> server. Mm-hmm. I'll be here Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm not senior enough to work the weekends. And And only at lunch. Only at lunch. I went in Dan Marino's Fine Food and Spirits on University Drive, and I said, hi, I'm Mike. I'm in flight school, and I really want to be a server. And they said, okay. (laughs) I was not good at it. You were a server at the Cheesecake Factory. That menu is 50 pages. That was impressive. Our menu was about three or four pages. It was very generic. (laughs) And I was still under that mindset that I'm funny and I'm personable and I'm going to be the best server that's ever walked in here. Mm -hmm. Boy, was I wrong. Well, let me backtrack a little bit to before I got suspended. (laughs) I was only 20. I was allowed to work in a bar, but I couldn't drink at said Mm -hmm. bar. I really was lacking in my alcohol expertise, and I studied the menu, and I passed the menu test, and I said, I'm going to crush it. Yeah. It was my first day, first table. Woman looks at me, and I said, would you like anything to drink? She says, yes, I'll have Long Island iced tea. I had studied the menu, and I knew that we didn't have Long Island iced tea. (laughs) Because we had Arizona iced tea. (laughs) So I said, no, I'm sorry, we don't have that. It's only Arizona. And this woman dies laughing. (laughs) And I'm sitting there with this look on my face like, I passed the menu test. I got a 78%. (laughs) Wait, wait a second. You had this level of confidence? You didn't even have at least a 90? No, it was a (laughs) 98. I scored a 78 and proud of it. I had a barely passing grade. But somebody (laughs) called out six, so I hadn't taken the bar test yet. She said, no, you have it. And I was like, this lady... Hilarious. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll go get you some Long Island iced tea. Thinking she won't know the difference, so I bring back iced tea. (laughs) I'm like, found some. Here it is. You're right. We had it. She's like, this is iced tea. I said, yeah, I know. She's like, ask your bartender for a Long Island iced tea. She thinks I'm messing with her the whole time. And so she sees this comprehension dawn on my face (laughs) that I really don't know what a Long Island iced tea is. So I go, 
and embarrassed, I said, can I have a Long Island iced tea for that table over there? I think I'm just crushing it. I'm making people laugh, some on purpose, some not, most not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still in this phase where I think if I'm funny and charming, everyone's going to love me. And this guy comes in, and the first thing out of his mouth is, how is the pork chop prepared? (laughs) You laugh because you've worked in a restaurant, and you know what that means is you have a mystery shopper on your hands. Oh. (laughs) I don't know that. I'm new to the industry. I'm not a seasoned vet. So I was like, I don't know. I'll go ask. And so I go, and hey, chef, how's the pork chop prepared? He looks at me and says, it's grilled. (laughs) How do you not know that? I go back and say, oh, it's grilled. He says, okay, well, what does it come with? I don't know. Let me go ask. (laughs) Oh, no. I was like, I'm pretty sure it says on the menu, but I'm going to go ask. (laughs) This is when I realized I am not a good server. It's all great. He asked me, do I have any recommendations for dessert? I say, yes, you need to get this chocolate chip cookie because it's insane. It's so good. I bring it out. The whole thing is gone. I come to check. I was like, how was it? He's like, it really wasn't good. I laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've all been there. Oh, yeah, it was so bad. It was terrible. I ate the whole thing. It was delicious. But he is dead serious. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Here's your check. (laughs) (laughs) The next day I come into work and the new schedule's out and I'm not on it. Oh, no. And I'm so oblivious and so young. I say, hey, you messed up the schedule. I'm not on it. And they're like, yeah, we'll talk about that. Oh, no. no. We're going to have a team meeting and then we're going to talk about that. Cool. I like team meetings, team building, camaraderie. Come on, comrades. (laughs) Still no idea. I am the team meeting. (laughs) (laughs) He starts reading this shopper's report. Oh, my gosh. And everybody knows it's me because I'm not on the schedule. Oh, And every eye in the place comes at me. Oh, gosh. And I'm still kind of oblivious to it until he says, the hostess was great. The person to see me was great. And then I asked my server how the pork chop was prepared, and he didn't know. And I was like, oh, God, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, at the end of that, the manager comes up to me and he says, so, yeah, I can't really have you be a server right now. You can either quit or you can go be a food expediter in the kitchen. I was like, well, I don't quit anything because I'm young and I'm going to go be a food expo and I'm going to prove all these people wrong. <laughs> I was a food expo where I was really bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened really fast and there's hot sauces and hot stuff and it's spilling on my hands and burning me and I'm soft and I can't handle it and I'm sad because I want to be out there charming customers. So I'm like, I'm going to get back out there if it's the last thing I do. So I'm a food expo for about two months. Take the menu test home and I study and I study and I study and I take the menu test and I get a 100 (laughs) on the menu test. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. And a 100 on the bar test. And he's like, congrats, you're back on the floor. Go over there. We're going to have a team meeting. I'm like, all right, I'm getting inducted back into the floor. Yeah. Like I'm back guys. <laughs> and so he says, I just want to say congrats to Mike. He worked really hard. He aced his menu test and he's back on the floor with y'all. However, this restaurant has been failing and we've decided to close it. <laughs> he didn't know I had just finished my flight instructor certificate and I was going to work for a flight school. So I was going to give my two weeks notice. Right. He says, if you all stay for two weeks, 
you will get a severance package. And he said, Mike, what did you want to talk to me about? Oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> smart. Smart. Mike, yeah. I love that story so much. Thank you for coming and telling it. We're glad you found a career that you're better suited for than waiting tables at Dan Marino's. Yeah, me too. I don't think it would have worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, brother. We appreciate it. Anytime. So great to have Pilot Mike in the studio. So funny. He's always been that funny. I'm glad to have him as a friend. Not as a server. Oh, my God. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. It's time now for another popular segment on the show. This is Pop Culture Blind Spot. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Oh, Alex and I watched a very classic film. Yes. It's considered the best American film of all time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, Citizen Kane. Yes. And I see why it earned that title, but I still have my issues. Okay. Have you guys seen Citizen Kane? Nope. I watched it years ago for that very reason. Okay. I'm anxious to hear what you guys thought. I had my own opinion at the time and Mm -hmm. have held it ever since. Just to kind of give a background for people who haven't seen it or TJ, the movie begins upon the death of a character named Charles Foster Kane, Mm -hmm. and he's a billionaire media mogul. So think Rupert Murdoch, but bigger. There's this really super expositionary opening newsreel that gives the background and his life story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Zoom out and you're in a room full of newsmen who are actually watching the obituary video Mm -hmm. that we just watched. And they're like, "Uh, you know what? It kind of feels soulless. We should dig deeper and really get to know Mm -hmm. who this Kane person was. And they think that they should investigate his last word, see what that meant, and maybe they can learn more about him. What was his last word? That's an important question. The last word was... Rosebud. Rosebud. Oh. <laughs> and he drops, what was in his hand? It's like a snow globe. Yeah. yeah the sim cheat code. <laughs> There's some really cool stuff like that. The newsreel drops some interesting facts about his life. Yes. And then what happens is the newsman goes back and he interviews people who had known him, his business partners, his ex-wife, and they dig further into the story. So it's kind of cool when you see the news version of the story Mm -hmm. and then you see what really happened. Yes. So that was cool. I thought that as well. I was like, oh, that's a little bit before it's time. Having kind of multiple timelines Mm -hmm. appearing in one story. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. What was fascinating to me, I didn't want to go in knowing a whole lot about Mm -hmm. it. I wanted to have like a really fresh take. I did find it funny that described as an American mystery drama film, which I don't really feel like it's that mysterious, mysterious. especially because the whole movie spent uncovering his life. (laughs) Although it is really brooding and dark and feels scary. There's a lot of shadows. A little Casablanca-ish? Film noir? Yeah, some Casablanca, some like Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. It's in black and white. It's in black and white. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yep. why you've never seen it. Yeah. TJ <laughs> is the opposite of colorblind. <laughs> you can't see black and white. No. The first thing we learn about him, his parents sold him as a child <laughs> to the bank. The bank buys children? <laughs> so yes. That's not a good investment. No. Did you look this up? I did because I was really confused about it because his mother... When they start that scene, like, she's just incredibly cold. She's so about cold it. about it. I'm like, well, what is going on? And the father is the one that's really passionate about, why are you selling my yeah, boy? Yeah, why are you selling my boy to the bank? <laughs> why does the bank want to buy children? It's weird. Yeah. So this is why the bank wants to buy the boy. They discovered that the house that the Kane family was living on was on top of some oil. Oh. Yeah. So the bank was getting ready to come into a fortune. 
I'm confused as to why a child had to be sacrificed for the family to get this money. It seemed like we're going to sell you so you can grow up to be rich. That's horrible. (laughs) That's not a thing. Worst parents ever. And then I'm like, I wish my parents had sold me to a bank and made me rich. Because I had to work for my money. Okay. (laughs) Man, I couldn't have been sitting on top of some oil or mm-hmm. cotton candy or dry ice. I don't know. Whatever. With, <laughs> dry ice. Like, the There's sparkle. a dry ice mine in Louisville, but that family built a house on it. We're going to have to buy the child. <laughs> so they raised this child inside the bank? No. Like Julian Assange in the Ecuador embassy? <laughs> yeah, kind of. There's a sentimental point to it as yeah. well because the mother's coldness is towards the father because he's supposed so to too. be abusive. Yeah, I, that was like this little twist right there at the end. The father's actually abusive and so the mother's saving him by selling him to the bank. Still doesn't make sense. Sometimes you just need an inciting incident in the screenplay. We need something that's getting this story going. Sure, we sold the kid to the bank. You cut to when he's grown. And so Mm -hmm. the bank offers him, you can have any of these industries you want to become wealthy. And he picks becoming a newspaper man. No. (laughs) Extra, extra. (laughs) He saw that that was his easiest way to rise to power. And so this is where I feel... Even though the movie feels super dated, it started feeling really relevant. To me, it seemed like it was about a man with a political vision who creates this media empire to influence public opinion through mm. media. He's writing all these salacious headlines and really trying yes. to say, make himself look better and buying all the newspapers across America. So they write favorable stories about him yeah. and negative ones about his enemies. So it really started to feel very 2019. Throughout the movie, Kane really tries to push this narrative of, I really care about the people. Why don't they care about me? But it's just like he's desperate for love. Which mm. once again goes he was back. sold to the bank. <laughs> Had the inciting incident made sense, all these things that yeah. connect probably would have made sense. We've always <laughs> boil these characters in a movie down to something like that. Only they're desperate for love. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think humans are that simple? Humans are pretty basic. Yeah. I agree with George on that. You really get down to it. Oh, his father didn't love him enough, and that's why he became an evil mastermind. It's really always that simple with humans. I mean, it might be. I think so. How did you feel about the wives? To segue to another... Okay, yeah, so Cain had two wives. His first Mm -hmm. wife was the niece of the president. Yes. And he was going to use her to pursue his political ambitions. Mm -hmm. And then his second wife was a, quote, singer (laughs) who couldn't sing, and he was really pushing her towards fame. I didn't care for either of his wives, but he didn't either. <laughs> he sure didn't. So I felt like we were on the same wavelength. Especially that second one, because mm-hmm. the embarrassment he kept forcing that poor woman toward. He's making her sing. She can't sing. She knows she can't sing. She's getting terrible reviews. And she's just like, why are you doing this to me? Uh, and that's why she ends up leaving him. She's like, stop making me sing. And he has this incredible vision that nobody can seem to see but him. It's like, he just seems like a a-hole yeah. that wants to force things on people. He's like, I have money and power so I can do that. On that end, I hate to just hit it on the nose, but I started thinking of this as Citizen Trump. I'm going to read to you some bullet points I made a list of when I noticed could easily get remade today. Okay. All right. One. He's got a flimsy, self-made billionaire story. Uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. He's desperate for the attention of others. Mm-hmm. He's a billionaire and media mogul with eyes set on Washington. Okay. Yeah. Multiple marriages with trophy wives. Mm-hmm. Oh. His political career is sabotaged by fake news. Mm-hmm. Oh. He threatens to lock up his political opponent. On election yeah. day, the newspapers have two headlines. One headline says Kane wins, and the other headline says fraud at the polls. So I was like, he was like, you choose that one. Yeah, when he lost, they chose fraud at the polls. 
All he cares about is his image. Mm-hmm. And in the end, he's just a sad, bald man alone with Jess's employees. Yeah. And everybody kind of turned on him. <laughs> oh, this has a very current vibe to me. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> I could see the president just staring longingly into a snow globe. <laughs> Actually, so, it is a Citizen Trump movie, TV movie. Out, yeah. Is that you like know, a docu series? Yeah, something? it's a docu series. Like I, you know, I hate when people steal my ideas. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's like a lot of Citizen Trump references. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. I'm not the first to think of it. Thank you, TJ, though, for making sure I felt lesser of a person. <laughs> I think we could do a parody. Do you guys know what Rosebud is? Any guesses? No. What do you think Rosebud is? The cheat code to Sims. Rosebud was his sled that you see him playing with in the scene when his parents sell him off. It is a connection, I guess, to the sled that got lost. Last time he had happiness or something. Yeah. It's really cool as it's done in the movie because at the end, the newspaper men are in this room with all of this guy's earthly belongings. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, we can't figure it out. We don't know what Rosebud is. Maybe you can't summarize a man by one word. Mm-hmm. And then the camera zooms out as they leave and you see all the junk in the room because the dude's like a hoarder. Yeah. And then it zooms all the way in as they throw the sled into an incinerator and nobody caught that that's what it was. In the story, it's kind of tragic. Nobody knows. It's just us. It's dramatic irony, as they say. Wow, cool. Would you recommend this movie to anybody? No. If you're taking a film class... It's good for a film class. Yes, this is the perfect movie. It introduces all of the things that have contributed to what we consider to be great films. Now, this is where... It began, yeah. yeah. I'm glad to now understand this cultural phenomenon. Okay. And, and I will move on with my life. We can officially say we yeah, checked, checked one off. off the list. What's next? Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy TJ's original composition, <laughs> The Twink Next Door. Episode 1. It's time for TJ's Audio Theater. It was a crisp fall afternoon in late September when I first saw him. I was returning from a long-awaited journey to a local Trader Joe's down the maple tree-decorated street. Their seasonal stock of crisp apple cider had finally arrived, which will pair well with leftover whiskey from Jared's birthday pool party. I climbed the oakwood stairs of the home-turned gentrified apartment loft in which I resided, and there he was. A mixture of exotic cultures and nationalities. His hair collapsed in a quaff pillowy fluff of wavy ground vanilla blonde strands atop of olive-toned kissed skin and deep national forest green eyes. His neck rectangular, stood firm between two symmetrical, sharp shoulder blades that affixed a posture that most likely never even heard the phrase lumbar scoliosis. And there it is. It peers into the view as he turns around to lock his door. A nice, perfectly round, oh shit. There they go. Fiercely clawing and tearing their way out the walls of their paper entrapments from which I carry, all seven of the 64-ounce bottles of Trader Joe's apple cider. It is at this moment I realize my worst enemies of time and natural physics have teamed up once more to ruin my cursed earthly existence. As if in slow motion I watch them tumble down, bouncing off each wall, banister and stair, yelling at the top of their lungs. And then, silence. An invisible post-disaster mushroom cloud sprouts from the floor. Hey, you dropped something. He says at the top of the stairs. I laugh, but too much. 
Yeah, watch your step, I respond, coyly. I think one of them broke. Yeah, gross. He responds while walking down the stairs to exit the premises. His athletic but fashionable fuchsia shorts flow in the breeze around his thighs while a white, slightly wrinkled Calvin Klein V-neck t-shirt flows around his Michael Sarah-sized body. Royal blue Adidas 9-inch sneakers carry him down the first floor hallway toward the exit. And just before he's out the door, I notice he's also carrying a golden yellow gift bag decorated with cloudy gray tissue paper blossoming out like spring-awakened flower petals meticulously fashioned to discreetly hide what's inside. And he was my gift that I'll never unwrap. My short-lived neighboring bestowal has been spoiled with three poorly designed weak paper bags and 448 ounces of autumn sweet nectar of betrayal. As I start to pick out the fallen jugs, that's when I hear the door open at the end of the first floor hallway. And a familiar voice echoes through the air once more. Uh, I forgot my phone. He says, running past me. I inhale a sweet musk of his lightly but noticeable applied cologne. Was it Arrows by Versace? No. Polo Black by Ralph Lauren. No, wait. Yes. It's Gentleman by Gavinci. A light blend of vanilla pear-scented cologne with a slight hint of apple cider. No, wait. I hear his door suddenly close. He rushes past me once more down the stairs with his sweet scent conquering my seasonal sinus plague nostrils. I'm overcome once more with flaring embarrassment as I cringe watching him skirt around the fallen brown containers that my slow sloth of a body has yet to remove from the unmerciful ground. It is at this moment I realize I was so distracted by his sudden reappearance that I was completely silent during our second encounter. See you late, Tur. I clean up the mess around me and manage to carry everything with my overgrown, monstrous long arms. I pass by his holier-than-thou apartment entryway, and... Wait a second. The universe has bestowed mercy upon me as I notice his door is somehow ajar. How can this be? I heard it close with my own elvish-sized ears as he left. It seems that building maintenance live up to their poor reputation and still have yet to fix this doorway fixture, which has been combined with my neighbor who must have forgotten to lock it. Am I invited by dear fate to dare a peek inside? No, I mustn't. Curse my natural curious nature, I have never been more tempted by the devil's lure to explore a glorious unknown. I look to my right, no one. I look to my left, not a soul. I release the apple cider to the ground's unyielding grasp and push my hand against his door. End of episode one. That was The Twink Next Door. Are we going to have more of this, TJ? Uh, I hope so. We'll see. We'll look forward to it. Put that pen to paper, my friend, or uh, go live wild experiences to influence more of your very descriptive writing. 
folks, this has been another great episode of the Funniest People I Know podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're so glad to have you listening. You can send us an email at funniestpeopleiknow at gmail.com. The Funniest People I Know podcast airs every Saturday on the Georgia Radio Reading Service. We record courtesy of GARS. Thank you so much to producer Jane. The show is available Sunday on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Tell a friend about the show. Send us an email. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Have yourselves a hilarious week.